Well, good morning, High Street. We want to say welcome uh, on this beautiful weekend, and we're glad that you're here. And I really do want to encourage you, if you've never been to a World Project Night here at High Street, that is the heartbeat, the DNA of what we do here. We support over 160 missionaries around the world. And man, I'm praying, I'm praying that there's going to be a day, or I don't know if I'm supposed to say this out loud, Gary Lease, our missions director, is over here. I'm praying there's a day that we'll be supporting over 200 uh, missionaries here, and, and I'm praying that that would be soon. And, and that's only happened through your generosity, through your giving. And man, God is a global God. He's just not the God of Springfield, Missouri. It's a great time here at High Street. We kicked off through the High Street Institute. We have internships and residency programs. And this is our first year of a residency program here at High Street, 11 months long. We have eight residents who are going through this program while they'll learn um, uh, about the Bible. They'll learn learn practical ministry skills. They kicked off, the inaugural class kicked off uh, this week. And so, uh, man, you'll see them about, uh, about as you go through church and everything. And so we're just so glad they're part of what we're doing. We're thankful that God is allowing us to pour into the next generation. It's an exciting time in general. I don't know if y'all are like me, uh, but you've been enjoying the Olympics. I went home, ran home from the office last week to eat lunch, and I was watching table tennis, artistic swimming, and a, and a steeplechase all in one lunch setting. And that's that's like a good time, okay? Uh, it's been fun. And so this summer's been great. We've been going through uh, kind of summer in the Psalms, and we have called this series The Book That Reads You. And today we're going to be in Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, and the book that reads you. And Psalm 37 is a psalm of David. And now a lot of uh, biblical scholars think that this is a psalm that was written towards the end of David's life as he's gained a little bit of uh, wisdom. And really what he's speaking here, what David is speaking here, is uh, he's speaking, hey, here's what you do when you approach people who are like seeking evil on your life. Now, David was a man who he was like hunted down by people. There were people trying to take his life. He was a king, and so there's all the pressures of that. People trying to attack him and wanting ill will for him. And so David is saying, hey, when you face evil, when you face suffering, when you face persecution, this is how you respond. This is what Psalm 37 is, but I think it's much broader than that. I think in this psalm, in the first nine verses that we're going to look at today, you really see a framework, you really see a framework for how to respond to all the situations in your life. And so the title today of today's message is, how do you respond when you're not in control? How do you respond when you're not in control? Do you all have situations in your life that you're not in control of? Nothing could have prepared me more for this than my seven years as an elementary PE teacher. You'd walk into a room full of kindergartners, you know, we're almost on back to school time, and you get a room full of kindergartners and you got an idea of this is how this lesson is gonna go. I'm gonna be the best teacher ever and they're gonna learn so much about physical education, they're not even gonna know what happened. And then you come in, you got a kid crawling underneath the cafeteria table, somebody just threw up on themselves and then over in the corner there's two boys fighting and one of them kicked another one in the chest and they're crying and like, you realize, oh wow, this is out of my control completely. It's like a bomb has went off and I am totally out of control of this situation. Now that's funny, but it's not funny in our lives when we lose control. And right, and control is just kind of a myth anyways. There's so much that is out of our control. How do we respond to that? But not just how do we respond to it, but how do we respond to it 
in a biblical manner? How do we respond to it? And I think David lays out here how we're to respond to these situations in our lives. And so I wanna read Psalm 37 to you and it starts off and it says, don't worry about the wicked. And the KJV, it says, fret not about the wicked. Like don't even worry about them. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they will soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. And so in the first two verses here, in verses one and two, he's really challenging, the, uh, he's challenging us Hey, don't worry about the wicked. Don't fret about what is going on with them. It's a challenge that we would take our eyes off of that and turn our eyes to God. And really as we look at this passage, this framework for how to respond when you aren't in control or when people who you're not in control of are attacking you, is there's really five steps here. David in this psalm really lies out, lays out five steps, a five-step approach for us to take whenever we face these situations. And step number one is trust in the Lord. Step number one is trust in the Lord. What does verse three say? It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Now, sometimes you come to church, right, and the pastors like me, we wait till the end to give you the good stuff. I'm giving you the best thing right off the start today. This is the most important thing, the best thing right off the start is that it all begins with trusting in the Lord. It all begins with trusting in the Lord. Unless you get this right, none of the rest of it matters. This is the starting point. And when it says Lord here, Jehovah or Jehovah as we would say, this, this word here for Lord, it occurs over 6,000 times in scripture. And what that means, this is like the proper name for God. He who existed. Like, do you register that, that God existed? Like, we, we have beginning points and end points, starts and finishes, but God existed. Like, that's hard to wrap our finite human minds around, but, like, God has been in existence, the one true God. And until you place your trust in him, you cannot expect that you will respond the way God wants you to in any situation or any circumstance. And can I be honest with you, as, uh, as I'm studying for this and I read verse three, I'm like, trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. I know some pretty good people who I wouldn't look at their life and say, man, God, you're just having them prosper. They're living in safety and prosperity. You know, honestly, a lot of times it's the opposite of that. I look at these people and I'm like, man, they love you so much, God. How could you allow this to happen in their lives? And so sometimes I look at that and I struggle with that passage. But then in my mind, I think of John 10. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, what does Jesus say? He says to his sheep who are following him, he says, hey, every single sheep that follows me, right? He's the good shepherd, we're the sheep. As we follow him, he won't lose a single one of us. 
He says that not one of us will be snatched away, that we will all have eternal life. What a promise that is. And so I think that this is just foreshadowing to the gospel message of Jesus is that, man, we might have trouble and trials and tribulation. I can guarantee you that you'll have that in your life. But in eternity, we are secure and we are going to prosper and no one can take that away from us. No person can take that away from us. No scheme of Satan can take that away from us, that we are eternally secure because of our trust in what God has done. And what did God do? God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to walk on this earth and live a perfect life and that he would go to a cross, the most physically agonizing death that you can think of, coupled with the spiritual weight of all of humanity's sin, past, present, future. He took it on in the cross. He went to the grave, but he rose again three days later, defeating death and the grave, offering us hope again. That that's, the, that's what we're supposed to put our trust in. And I'd ask you today, I'm gonna ask you again at the end, have you ever put your trust in the Lord? That is step number one when you face this situation of anything out of your control, is have you put your trust in the Lord? Step number two, look at verse four. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Did you know you can't delight in someone you don't have a relationship with? You cannot delight in somebody that you don't have a relationship with. And in this verse, this is like, hey, you gotta have this right before you can get this. Before you can have your heart's desires, you've gotta delight in the Lord. And you can't delight in the Lord until you've trusted in him. And that comes through relationship. I'm sure you saw Jake over here standing. He was leading worship. Uh, and Jake uh, is on staff here at High Street and his wife now, Chloe. They just got married um, a, a little bit ago. And what a beautiful wedding they have. And, and it was fun to go to. And as you listen to them exchange vows, number one, I was kind of like, man, I need to step my game up here. Uh, it was real sweet, all right? It was real sweet. Both of them did a great job. And uh, as, I, as I listened to that, I thought about, you know what? They only delight in each other. It was so evident that they delighted in each other. And it, they, they only have that because they're in relationship with one another. They talk to one another. The doors are open for one another to have conversation. That's the only reason they delight. Is that's like the, prede the predecessor for having the desires of your heart. You've got to delight in the Lord. And in order to delight in the Lord, you've got to put your trust in him. You've gotta put your trust in him. So step one, trust in the Lord. Step two, delight in who he is. Step three, it says uh, in verse five, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him, trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. I'm not sure what that looks like, but it sounds good. And the justices of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. That's bright, okay? But commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. It doesn't say, all right, God's not up in heaven, He's not up in heaven and he's looking down at your situation and your circumstance and he's saying, will I help Logan today? Yes, no, maybe. Hmm. He, he's, yes. It says he will help us if we've committed our ways to him. His answer is always going to be yes. It's not might. It's not maybe. He will help us. And I think about it like this, but uh, it doesn't say how he'll help us. And I don't know if you've ever been like me and in a situation where you're like, hey God, I've got a situation going on. I've already got it figured out in my head. 
I know how this needs to be worked out. God, I've already got it, I've got it done. I've got the solution right here. Just come alongside me and help me out a little bit. We treat God like that sometimes, I do. But it doesn't tell us how he will help us, but does promise us that he will. And I think about it like this. Anybody uh, in the car seat stage of life right now, I have two kids under the ages of three. Anybody else, raise your hand, and you're gonna feel this pain right here. And I, I think that car seats are God's gift to us to sanctify us to become more Christ-like because every opportunity I have to put a car seat in, to put somebody in the car seat, is really a moment for me to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit in my life. And so we went on a trip this week, uh, and uh, we were putting our car seats back in yesterday, uh, and I just gotta like pause in my garage, it's hot out. I'm already sweating and I just gotta be like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Like I just gotta, I can't sing, but I gotta just in that moment, I gotta just take some time because I know what's about to come, all right? And uh, some of y'all are saying amen out there who are parents. And my daughter, okay, I've been praying for her since she was uh, in her mama's womb. And uh, I've been praying for her. And one of my prayers for her is that she would be a leader. Now, the problem with that is I think that God is answering my prayers and she is a stubborn little girl, all right? And she is in this stage where it is my do it myself. No, my do it myself. Like she wants to do everything by herself. And we hear that about 50 times a day. And so that's her deal for her car seat right now. And so she climbs up in the car, she gets in there. And if you know this about car seat straps is they get tangled up, don't they? And so I'm trying to help my daughter. She gets mad then whenever she can't get it. She wants it to go and it won't. And it's all tangled up and it's a mess. And so what do I do? I try to come in to help her, to align it, to untangle it so that it will come together and she can do it on her own. I'm trying to help her, but she doesn't have the ability to comprehend what is happening and she thinks I'm just taking over and doing it all myself. But I'm trying to place her in a position where she's gonna be successful. I'm trying to help her, but it's not the way that she thinks I need to be helping. And I think we do this sometimes with God. It's like, God, you're not helping. And he's like, no, I am helping. It's not the way that you want it to, but trust me, it's gonna work out for your good. And so we gotta take a step back and understand if we've committed our ways to the Lord, if we've kept him in that spot of priority in our lives, he is going to help us. He doesn't tell us when, he doesn't tell us how, but he will help us, and that's a promise that we need. Because when you're facing situations and circumstances that are outside of your control, you need help. You might feel helpless today, and God is the only one who's gonna be able to help you. But it starts with trusting in him first. You gotta have a relationship with him. As we move on and, and we look at verses five, uh, as we look at verse seven, we kinda see the, ver the fourth step of what we do when situations and circumstances are out of our control. And it says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I would ask you this, is when was the last time you were still? Sometimes in our schedules, it feels like if we're being still, that we're actually losing because we're giving something up. But what we're actually gaining is far greater than what we're losing. It seems like, yeah, I'm giving up this time and I don't have time for it and, and all these different things and it's gonna, it's gonna make it worse and I gotta get stuff done and I gotta handle this situation or talk to this person. 
But if we'll take a step back and be still, God will show up in those moments. I don't know what stillness looks like for you. One of the things I like to do is not really be still while I'm being still. I love to go on a walk. Sometimes I'll have my, my uh, AirPods in and I'll listen to worship um, or, or whatever, or sometimes I'll just walk. And like in those moments of stillness, when I'm putting away everything else, I'm not thinking about my to-do list, what I need to do, I'm not thinking about, I, I'm just focused on, God, will you, just, will you just show up to me? You know that God never returns like void in those moments. He's always gonna speak to you. He's always gonna talk to your heart. He's always gonna guide you in what steps you need to take. He's always gonna reveal uh, sin in your life and areas you need to grow in. But I would ask you, when was the last time you were still? And you come to church a lot and it's like, okay, uh, you, you listen and then it's like, what do we do with it? The most practical thing I can challenge you to do this week some of y'all are fresh on campus at BBC. Some of y'all are about to start a new school year. Or maybe you're a teacher. Some of you, you know, this is just a busy season. And it's like, I don't have time to be still this week. What if you take 30 minutes? What if you take a half hour and you just be still? Did you just be still? And all throughout scripture, here's the deal, especially, but you're like, you don't know my circumstance, you don't know my situation, you don't know what's going on around me. That's when it's the most important to be still. Throughout scripture, we see a theme. And a theme that we see is that sometimes we gotta just stay still and let God fight for us. We gotta quit trying so hard on our own. We gotta quit giving it all our own effort and we gotta be still and let God, the creator of the universe, the author of our lives, fight on our behalf. Some of y'all are facing a situation in a circumstance and you've been trying to wrestle with it for too long and what you need to do is take a step back and watch God work. And he will. In his time, in his way, he will work. Man, it seems like we're losing something sometimes by being still. And oh, it's a discipline. You've gotta seek that out. I love this, this poem in, in relation to this concept says, it is God's will that I should cast on him my care each day. He also bids me not to cast my confidence away. But oh, I am so foolish that when taken unawares, I cast away my confidence and carry all my cares. Do you know how easy, that's what Satan wants for you. He wants to cast away your confidence and your trust in the Lord and he wants you to wear, to, to wear the full weight of all your cares. And he wants, to walk, wants you to walk around your life weighted down by that. But what God says is, hey, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll carry that for you. I'll carry that for you. And we don't have to carry it ourselves anymore. If you're in a situation that has completely overwhelmed you, man, can I just challenge you to do that, to go to God in that way. And the last point, the step five, right? So we've got that we're supposed to trust in the Lord. We're supposed to delight in him. We're supposed to commit our ways to the Lord and we're supposed to be still. Those are all very spiritual things, right? You're like, hey, come on, that's church. I'm, uh, I can do that. The fifth thing is like, where's this coming from? Don't be angry. It's like, what? Does that, does that fit right there? I'm gonna trust in the Lord. Okay, I can do that. Uh, that, that seems spiritual, right? I'm gonna delight in the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm gonna... I'm gonna commit my ways to him and I'm, I'm gonna be still. But then it says, don't be angry. Why? Don't be angry? That 
You know, I mean, mean, read right here in verse 8. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Y'all know someone who's mad in your life? They're constantly mad. Something's constantly wrong. There's something that's constantly got them upset. And I can think of a few situations and circumstances in our world today that have people upset. And a lot of that situation and circumstance, for the most part, is out of their control. But boy, they're mad about it. And they're carrying on to that rage and that anger. And it's there. And they're holding on to it. And the only person, you know, and here's the deal. Is if you carry on to that anger long enough, you're going to become just like the people you're mad at. You carry around anger long enough, you're going to be just like the people that you're upset with. Anger, it's like a poison. It, it, it feels so good. It feels so good to be upset about something sometimes. It's like, hey, this is a righteous anger. It's, no, it's not. And, and, and anger is an emotion. Anger is something that like, you know, Jesus got angry. But we're talking about here is just like sitting in that. Or blowing up and just losing your cool. And when Proverbs talks about how a fool gives full vent to their rage, like that's not who I want to be. And I also don't just want to be, I think, I think that anger, if you build it up over some time, it comes out in some different ways. Sometimes angry people just become sarcastic. Maybe they're mad about what God didn't do in their life. And so instead of being an encourager, now they're sarcastic about everything that's happening. And maybe the root of that is they were mad at God for not helping them in the way that they, shot, in, in the way that they think he should. I think it comes out in the form of sarcasm. Maybe, maybe because of your, your anger, you're worried. Or maybe you're just grumpy. Y'all ever been grumpy? Sometimes you had a grumpy week, grumpy two weeks, grumpy three weeks. You got a grumpy marriage. You got to fight against that. That those things that bring up anger, you might be right. You might not be wrong in the situation. But if you're going to stay being mad about it, it's only going to hurt you. Don't be angry. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not, lead, do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. I love verse 9 because all throughout Scripture, right, In the Old Testament, you see all these different things that are pointing towards God's master plan of redemption for the world. That if you take the whole meta-narrative of the Bible, which is the whole story of the Bible, you see a consistent theme throughout it. And it, it is God created us, he loves us, he wants a relationship with us. And in verse nine it says, for the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. It kind of sounds like in the gospel when Jesus talks about how the meek will inherit the earth. That throughout scripture, the story of God is that when we put our faith and trust in him, we will prevail in the end. Might not be during this lifetime, but eternally we will have victory. And I, there, there's nothing like, like you, you might think of someone right now and you're like, 
this is not how they respond to the circumstances in their life. And maybe that person is you, like you look in the mirror and you're like, that's not me. Like, have you ever put your trust in God? You know, because what this isn't in, this isn't like an emotional response. This is like a thought through, have I put my trust and my hope in God? Have I recognized my sin in my life? Have I recognized that my sin, there's nothing I can do to pay for that. I've done wrong, there's no way to undo what I've done. Have you recognized your, your need for a savior? Have you put your trust in God? And what that is, is it's you signing over authority of your own life and giving it all to God. Scripture tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A Lord in your life is someone who has authority. It's someone who has the ability to direct you in what's going on. And so I would ask you, have you ever put your trust in the Lord? And I think about, you know, as we're singing beforehand, I can't help but think about it. It's like, you know, we're singing, Lord, send revival, Lord, send it now. (laughs) There are so many people who need this hope. Think about uh, the world and the way it it interacts and the way that you see people interact. This is not the typical response. Think about how many angry people you know. And what we should be asking God for is revival in our land, is revival in the city of Springfield, is revival from High Street, is revival in the United States, is a revival through our missionaries' efforts, is a revival throughout the world that people would see, hey, there is a better way to respond to what's happening in your life and the evil and the wickedness that has happened in our world. That's not the end of the story, that there is a God who has had victory over death, over the grave. And there's hope that you can be eternally secure and you can experience the way life it, meant to, it was meant to be, united with your Father for all of eternity. You know, here in a minute as we close, we're gonna, I'm gonna ask y'all to pray for two things. I'm gonna ask y'all to do two things. I'm gonna ask you to respond to the Lord if you've never done that before. And the second I'm gonna ask you for is will you just, like what, who's that person on your heart? Who's that person on your heart who you say, that person needs Jesus? And maybe you've looked at that person and you've been mad at them. You're irritated by the way they live their life. You're irritated about how selfish they are. But maybe for the first time, you're seeing them the way God sees them. And what he wants for them is he wants them to understand this. And if they're in your life, if they're in your circle, you have a responsibility to go to them and to share the hope of Jesus. Who is that person for you as you're sitting there and you're thinking about it? What if God would send revival? What if he did? What if he'd do it? Let's ask him. What else are we gonna do? What else are we here for? But to go and share a message of hope. I'm gonna ask y'all to bow your heads.